<laughs> and welcome to the first episode of the Screen Test of Time. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this is a podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture in order, from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year, which will probably be like a decade from now. Every week, we will watch and review a different movie, and once we've seen all the films nominated in a particular year, we'll bring you a special episode telling you, in retrospect, which movie should have won and why. This week, we're starting with Seventh Heaven, a totally silent flick released in 1927. Mm-hmm. So, David. Yes. What did you think of this movie? You know, for the first half of this movie, I had this bit about it being a harrowing uh, look at post-war France. Uh, because of uh, how just every woman in this movie apparently really wanted to get with um, a sewer worker with delusions of grandeur who was mean to women. But his delusions of grandeur... Yes. His delusions of grandeur are that he wants to be a street washer. Like, he does not aim very high. No, this is a very weird movie. I I got into it, I will say, in the second half, and I think... um, Janet Gaynor, who who plays the the female lead, Diane, like I, she is killing it with those silent movie facial expressions. Oh yeah. But like it was slow going, and it's weird as you would expect any movie made ninety years ago to be. And I I had to take it in shifts. The first twenty minutes was rough, and then the last twenty minutes was rough. Uh, but then the middle portion where it just got delightfully weird, I had a lot of fun with. I tried watching it in shifts and I could not get back into it when I came back. So I had to like start over after having watched like the first half hour. God, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I kind of can't wait till we have movies where people talk. That's going to be great. And also going to be like next week, right? No, next week is also totally silent. Um, but the week after that. Wait, I thought you I thought you told me only one. I lied. Okay. Or I was wrong, Great. really. I didn't lie. Okay. Fair so enough. Chico is the name of our of our sewer worker. There's so many individual <laughs> details that are weird to me about this film, and it feels weird to jump to the fact that his name is Chico and we are in Paris. But it was eternally weird to me that his name was Chico and we were in Paris. And he also doesn't seem to... Like, he's definitely a white dude. Like, his eyes are blue. It's in black and white, but he's like a blue-eyed blonde. Yeah. Named Chico, who lives in Paris. And Chico's just whole, like, backstory. There's also that just, there's there's so much. So, anyway, let's get to what you were going to say, and then we can wrap back around to just individual strange details about this film after we've kind of talked about what it is in general. I mean, he doesn't exactly have delusions of grandeur, because he does pretty quickly and like deus as machina become a street washer i mean almost literally because somehow a priest yes comes and gives him the job as street washer the local priest whose authority to do anything is super unclear and who (laughs) may literally be god from the way that this this movie really blurs the line between him and the good lord in terms of letting him act as god's agent on earth just has a card in his pocket that lets you promote any human to street washer (laughs) which i I really didn't understand 
how he has the authority to do that at all. Yeah. To back up, though, so I guess we meet Diane's sister before anybody else. Yes. I think the first scene is Chico in the sewers, isn't it? And then you go to meet Diane and her. Oh, right. Yeah. Where he's saying, like, I'm going to I'm going to be a street washer when I grow up. And he, d- he does his famous catchphrase. I'm a very remarkable fellow, <laughs> um, which repeats throughout the film. Oh, yes. For reasons. Um, and then we go see Diane, who is our protagonist. Um, and her abusive alcoholic sister in the squalor that they live in because Diane's sister um, just wants absinthe so much. And then there's a very strange subplot where their rich uncle comes and offers to, like, take them out of penury and, and then asks if they've been good girls the entire time. And Diane, who is too good and pure of heart to lie, is like, nah, my sister is an alcoholic. <laughs> And, like, honestly, I'm kind of with the abusive alcoholic sister on the shit are you doing, girl. Like, I what? Um, yes. Right, so then they just are basically told, like, fuck you, you don't get to live with us. Even though we got rich in the South Seas. They very specifically say, like, we've returned from the South Seas and we're rich. The morality of this movie is deeply, deeply strange to me when it isn't deeply offensive. Like, it really, it rockets back and forth. Um, And one of the things it does is just never, ever judge rich people. Although this is exclusively a film about how screwed poor people are. That's a really good point. They do get kicked out of the house. Mm -hmm. And then Diane's sister is like beating, like actually beating her in the street. Strangling her to death in in the, the sewer drain. When Chico saves her. And actually one of my favorite parts of the entire movie, because it was like the greatest what the fuck moment. In a movie full of them, is when he says to his friend, whose name is uh, literally Rat, Mm -hmm. like his friend who is a sewer cleaner too, that creatures like that aren't worthy of living or something like that, like they should just curl up and die. And then not five minutes later, when she tries to stab herself, Diane tries to stab herself with his knife, he's like, why did you want to end your life? And I just wanted to say like, Because you literally just said that she should die. (laughs) Now, see, the thing that I liked about that moment, and I'm using liked in quotation marks, is that he seemed more offended by the fact that she was using his knife, which would just... I I eventually realized that, like, the implication was, like, he would get blamed for it, but I kind of liked, like, don't fuck up my knife. Why would you... Then I'd have to clean it. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. The, like, he would get blamed for it. But that makes sense. Yeah. The vagaries of the legal system in this universe are also a bit strange, so I don't blame you for not catching that he would be blamed for the murder in this world where a woman who is being arrested seemingly just for being a bad person it didn't seem like she was being arrested for assault she would just was just being arrested for being guilty of not being a good enough woman was like that's my sister arrest her too and the police are like yeah okay that like i um well and the way that they get out of it or the way that diane gets out of it is chico says you can't arrest her that's my wife and they're like, 
Okay, well, we'll just come to your house and see if she's there, which will prove that you are married and also that she then is a good enough woman to not be arrested? Right, because no woman that marries a street cleaner could (laughs) possibly be below the moral standards where you just send them to prison seemingly randomly? Yeah, there's definitely some twisted morality in this movie, which... And in the 20s. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that all happens. And then there's this very Falstaffian character whose name I never caught, but who has a car whose name is Eloise. Yes. And they make a point of repeating her name over and over again. And Eloise is like a a beater of a car in 1927. Uh, Honestly, I feel like Eloise has the, like, emotional through line (laughs) that I felt the most throughout the film, so I really get why, like, uh, apparently the worst thing that ever happened in World War I is that we, like, lost this one taxi cab. (laughs) And, like, I really felt bad about it. Oh, he's a cab driver. I, I Seemingly. See, there, like, that was not clear to me. There's one line about the, like, actual historical thing where the French mobilized all the taxi cab drivers in Paris to, like, help mobilize people to the front in World War One. Oh, by the way, World War One is the entire last third of this film, in case you thought that the plot made any sense. Um, but his whole plot line in World War One is taking Eloise, and Eloise gets shelled and destroyed, and then you just never see him again, because the director and everyone involved knows that you cared way more about Eloise than you cared about him. <laughs> that Yeah, that seems legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, the plot to have Diane not be arrested because Chico claims that she is his wife progresses where he says okay well you have to go to my apartment and stay there until the police come but we are definitely not getting married and don't think that this is romantic in any way and then they go to his seventh floor walk-up apartment i you 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 have corrected me because i swear to god i did not get i was like it's so weird he's complaining about this gigantic amazing sixth floor walk-up and you were like, it's a seventh floor walk up. It's the title of the film. And I was like, oh. Because she walks in and says, it's heaven. And I counted also, because after they got to the fifth floor, I was like, and and it says fifth on the wall. I thought, okay. See, this is how I got, this is how I got confused. And is that this was a New York real estate advertising thing where we get to the fifth floor Then we go up to the sixth floor, and it's a different staircase because technically his apartment is the attic. And so, like, in my mind, it was a beautiful, expansive apartment attached to the sixth floor and not a seventh floor because it was above the sixth floor. Yeah, I mean, his apartment is like a penthouse. It's massive. It's ridiculous. It's like the friend's apartment in Paris. And he is, at the time he rented this apartment... A sewer worker. Right, yeah. Did Was I just not paying attention? I don't understand the, like, gangplank walkway he has to a completely separate building that he apparently also owns rooms in. I think he steals something off of a clothesline for her to wear. Okay, but then people repeatedly go over there throughout the rest of the film. So it's like, what are they doing over there? I think there? that's to his, like... His his 
buddy's apartment. Nope. Where his friend lives with his wife. Oh, you're right, because he does come across from there. I mean, they only get to be friends when there's when he becomes a streetwalker. That's also so weird. <laughs> wouldn't that, like, wouldn't you be like, this person is a serial killer out to steal my skin if you got a new job in the same industry as someone who lived in your building and that person then went, now I can finally speak to you. <laughs> Which is what happens. That guy confused me. Because he kept referring to everyone as comrade. Is he like a communist? This is based on a stage play, right? They say that at the very beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I really want to read the original stage play. Because so much of this feels like such a weird, watered-down version of whatever it original originally was. Oh, yeah. And like one is like that whole sequence where war were declared and everyone is like, we got to go to war in an hour. And and they literally say in an hour, like, oh, it's war. We didn't tell the ladies it was happening, but now we got to leave in an hour. I feel like just to, because we've gone so far into just digging into individual moments on this, we should say that the rest of this film is both weirdly predictable and totally bizarre in that, yes, as you imagine, the fake wedding, the fake marriage turns into a real love. Right. And the two of them decide that they're, that they have this deep soulmate connection blessed by the bon dieu. And then uh, Chico has to go off to war and they both sort of pine for each other um, throughout World War One. Um, and then it appears that Chico has died. And really, like, it's very weird. The ending is very strange. It appears that Chico has died. Chico says, I'm dying, and gives away his most precious earthly possession. The person who witnessed him dying comes to Diane and goes, it's totally true. He's absolutely dead. And then he just shows back up and goes, I'm not actually dead. I'm just blind. Which is one of those mistakes everybody makes, I think, at some point in their life. <laughs> and then they j embrace, and he kind of implies he's going to stop being blind through sheer force of will, and then the movie is over. Yeah, that is pretty much, that is the, that's the plot outline. Yeah, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Um, and, and among the things that I think I really want to read the stage play about is, like, that ending. Because it, it felt like nothing so much as, like, you know how in the 19th century they did all these productions of King Lear with King Lear having a happy ending? Right, right. Like, it felt like that. Like, like someone had just decided at the last most awkward minute to just, like, have there be this complete shift in fortune that you shouldn't bother to explain because everyone loves a happy ending. There's this whole plot throughout the whole film where, like, Chico's an atheist because God never gave him nothing, even though God keeps giving him shit. And very directly through the priest, who keeps being right. like, here's some more stuff. Also, I saved your, sort of saved your life, even though the priest didn't know that he did. Yeah, that's... For whatever reason. That's another one of my, like, fan canon explanations for this film is, like... The priest is literally God and is testing... Yeah, I think that's safe. Because the priest is there when Chico dies and then mysteriously is not dead but blind. Which of all of the senses... No, that's not true. I guess, like, smell would be even weirder. But, like, he just got shelled a lot near him. <laughs> and then that made him 
blind? Like, he didn't look directly into the... I don't know. It's just very and his, strange. And his ending. eyes weren't injured. He didn't have a head wound. Like, he shows up and he looks exactly the same, only he's, like, staring straight ahead because acting. Yeah. He's... Can I also say, like... He, I did not. I did not enjoy his performance. I did not enjoy Charles Sparrow I in this film. I didn't either. I enjoyed Janet Gaynor. I enjoyed Janet Gaynor a great deal, but Charles Farrell just like he seemed to be like almost. Um, and this is like too insulting to the guy that played Steve Urkel. But like it had that same sense of like once I've got my like mannerisms for my big lines, I'm done. Thing yeah. of like Steve Urkel. Of, like, once I got that little finger twirl for... I'm a very remarkable man. Yeah, and and then he, like, has his fucking, like, insultingly obvious, like, me, you, heaven. (laughs) Like, what they teach kids at Bible school when they're seven-style choreography. Yeah, yeah. And, like, those are his big acting moves. Meanwhile, Janet Gaynor is fucking killing it with just... At least five stage facial expressions for just like, oh, I dropped a pen. (laughs) And then like really just lets you see every single emotional beat of her inner life through every single thing that happens in this movie. A little bit that's weird, but also a little bit that's the point of silent movie acting. Good work. You're fucking killing it, Janet Gaynor. She does swoon a lot. Like literally swoon. Faint in various people's arms i meant to ask you susan have you ever first based with a guy so hard you just completely collapsed like a rag doll in his arms because diane does that in this film and i've got it either like my mild not even using tongue kissing game is not nearly as on lock as i would hope or that's not a thing right no it feels like that's not a thing it's not a thing (laughs) It's not a, like, unless the other person has, I don't know, chloroform on their lips, it, in which case, sure. She, like, yeah, she just, like, loses the ability to use her body. It's, like, Yeah, she collapses, and yeah. she's about a foot shorter than he is. She's so, so tiny. She's so she's tiny. She's really tiny. And he's really tall. Yeah. I think. I think I, most of his acting comes from being tall. He's like, I am a well-built man. What if this is like a Tom Cruise-esque thing, though, where, like, he's always on a soapbox and just no one else in this film is taller than 4'11"? I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. They, they had to come up with that somewhere. Wikipedia, do you know how tall Charles Farrell was? Um, sorry, I'm asking Wikipedia a dumb question. No, it's fine. I feel like the best parts of this movie were actually uh, the parts where he wasn't involved at all. Oh, absolutely. Like the subplot with Eloise going to war. I really felt for that car. Yeah, I totally felt for that car. I also like, I'm not really up enough on my queer history to say this for sure, but I feel like the scene where Diane turns the table on her abusive alcoholic sister is like, there were like a billion more lesbians in America immediately after the first screening of that film, right? Like, oh, that, that was... I felt a lot of uh, weird feelings <laughs> during that scene because I was like, wow, I'm, they're ostensibly related, but this is pretty hot mm-hmm. 
to watch Tiny Diane beat the crap out of her much taller and weirdly sexy with, like, the absinthe eye makeup sister with a belt. I was like, yeah. yeah. They, like, go full Vaseline on the <laughs> lens for the full shot of Diane's sister asking for absinthe. Like, like... Oh, yeah. It's really weird how coquettish they make her. And then also isn't weird at all. Yeah, it's... I really thought she was going to end up being in the film more because of that shot. Mm-hmm. And obviously we don't hear her voice, but it's like, it doesn't matter. You still know it was like the throatiest thing ever by the look that she yeah. gives. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm here for this. And then we never see her again until way later in the movie when she's like, she shows up at the apartment. And I don't even remember why. She says she's been hiding in the halls, waiting for Chico to be called away on a permanent basis. Apparently, none of the times he went to work was long enough for her to come. Like, she was waiting for him to just give up on Diane, I guess? And then she would stop lurking in the hallway outside of her seventh floor walk-up apartment. Which somehow no one has ever noticed her. Yes, And, like, it's a narrow stairwell. You know, they show that they twist around. And then, like, there's also other people in the the building. Yeah. As witnessed by the, like, woman two floors down who's, like, waiting to hit on Chico the first night he brings Diane back home. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, why does everybody like this guy? I don't get it at all. It's very weird. And, like, my headcanon explanation was just, like, so many men died in the war. And then they were like, and now for the war. And I was like, there were eligible (laughs) bachelors before? What is happening? I And the guy who's hitting on Diane when she gets a, like, wartime job? Yes. Arguably way better looking. Yeah. Way better looking. And, I I mean, I get why she doesn't do it, because, like, we've already established Diane is so pure of heart that she'll just never take money from anyone ever and sit in penury as the good lord demands. But, like, it is super weird that, like, (laughs) every single instance of romantic attraction in this film is completely bizarre. Oh, yeah. The thing I really want to talk about, though, is that the whole moral of this film is supposed to be um, that you need to trust in the plans of the good lord, who does everything for a reason. And doing that with a plotline that is about World War One is a real high degree of difficulty move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like if I was going to, like, do a draft of, like, conflicts in human history that, like, proved God didn't exist... World War One would be my top pick. I think it was uh, on the Hardcore History series that was about World War One, where Dan Carlin said something about, you know, people always say there are no atheists in foxholes, but actually tons of people who were in World War One were like, yeah, there can be no God if this is happening. Right, yeah. In World War II, there's at least a bad guy. Like, there's at least a narrative you can tell yourself for, like, why this happened. But, like, 20% of all of the youth in Europe died and everybody went bankrupt because people went like, eh, maybe it'd be nice to have a war. Just, like, there's just no fucking reason. And it was 
horrific. Like, the amount of totally fucked up technology that started to be used in that war where everybody was getting gassed and, like, people would die in trenches and just be left there with their comrades or, like, have their arm blown off and then die four days later in a literally rat-infested, constantly wet trench. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a hard move to make that the this proves that god is real movie yeah it's just so weird that like this this movie was made less than a decade after world war one ended and like in the middle of all these artistic movements that are about like all is chaos you don't need like reason is purposeless there's nothing productive in trying to understand the rationality behind anything because there is no rationality the entire universe is chaos and there's a wacky subplot. It feels like the original stage play about this was about some 19th century war or something, because it's just so weird that they try and make this like a holography to like the heroism of our brave boys out there fighting the good fight. Yeah, except they're not even American. No. I mean, it's an American movie and the actors are American, but ostensibly like they're French and live in Paris and they're the French out there fighting. Yeah, which is, it's just, eh. Um, and it's just bizarre that so much time is spent in this movie on like, wacky comedy subplots in World War One. There's like one scene that sort of questions the chain of command, but mostly it's just like, oh, the generals got a bad dinner one night. The scene with the flamethrowers I thought also was like bizarrely jovial. Yes. Where they're, they're marching at the front of the line with flamethrowers and the, is it Chico who says like, yeah, we've handled the hose before? Yeah. Or was it his friend who's the next door neighbor? I think it was his friend who's the next door neighbor who like loses his arm. That just the tone, the tonality of the last third of this film is fucking all over the place. And I kept waiting for there to be anything that was like the horrors of war at all. Well, the all. horrors of war is like, I think that guy lost his arm. I think that's the implication of him needing to like salute with his wrong arm is like he lost his right arm. But he seems totally fine about it. Yeah. No one comes back like psychologically broken. No. I. I In including the main character or the the main dude character who's just like yeah i was blinded but it's fine because god is real and also i'll get over it that is the weirdest thing because in a film where he consistently is given great shit by god and is like mm, i'm not sure god's real because like <laughs> i wanted to like i wanted the mcrib to be back and like this is just a full rack of ribs and I'm not sure that that's the same thing. The movie ends with him going like, I got blinded and now for sure I know God is real and I'm not an atheist anymore. I got blinded in the most pointless conflict in human history <laughs> that killed millions of people. But he did get to come back to Diane. I do have to say, it's in a weird way, he doesn't know it. He's very lucky he's blind because then he, we at least got to be spared the like, mistaken identity thing of him seeing his wife in the arms of another man when he came back from world war one. Oh, and i was so nervous about God, that i didn't for like i didn't i didn't don't think i 
breathed for like 10 seconds. Yeah, I was really nervous we had like another five minutes of them fighting over whether they really loved each other after like 30 minutes of them stopping every day for all of World War One, including at one point in the middle of Chico getting attacked by a German. And he's like, a second, I'm talking to my wife. At 11 o'clock every day. Yes. But not on the phone. Uh, just, like, to the sky. But they, like, know... They know it is real because the good lord gives them a warm feeling in their hearts, I guess? <laughs> um, it's ambiguous? I, yeah, it was not clear to me. When they first talked about that, when he said, like, no, I have to go talk to my wife because it's 11 o'clock, I was like, wow, he's, like, calling home every day at 11. That seems anachronistic yeah but okay and then it became clear that no they just are kind of like praying to one another yeah but yeah so the the guy who's been hitting on her for for our listeners who didn't watch this movie Mm. and was trying to convince her like throw away your morals all is chaos which actually was the one time where it was like with the war nothing makes sense anymore We should be together. She does fall into his arms when she finds out that Chico is dead. I really kind of loved the scene where he was like, because it was such a good bourgeoisie asshole scene of like, ah, nothing matters anymore. Let go of your like traditional morality. The world is just topsy-turvy. I mean, kind of dude, but not for you. You just get to chill and hit on all the women working in the munitions factory. Also, yeah, why wasn't this strapping, good-looking dude on the front line? Like, what was wrong with him? Yeah. Among the things that's really weird about this movie is it's a version of World War One where one set of guys went to the front and that was it. That was all they needed. <laughs> Those guys lasted the entire war. For some reason, they also needed all of the cab drivers? Yeah. It was like, no, strapping young men just hang out, but cab drivers, could you please just come to the front? Though the the shots with all of the cabs, like, going up the hill that were obviously, you know, models, Mm -hmm. may have been my favorite part of the whole movie. Where I was like, technology! (laughs) I really liked the, like, three minutes of this film that were a special effects spectacular. Because, like, there were were those shots, and then there were a couple of matte shots, and then there were a couple of shots of, like, setting some, like, charges in the dirt. And having people run through the charges in the dirt. And buildings caught on fire. Yes. Which was charming. Yeah. Oh, actually, my favorite special effect in the whole thing was there was a poster right before they're like, yeah, we have to go to war in an hour that is in French that says like, you know, calling all young men we're going to war or whatever. And they faded it into English in the shot. And I was like, that that is a really smart way to do this. In a movie that's already silent, subtitling anything. Yeah, would just be deeply confusing. Has to come from someone's mouth, yeah. And this was a poster, so they just faded it into English language, which I thought was really clever. Um, so do we have... But I would not necessarily recommend anyone watch this. I was about to say, do we have anything that we we want to say before we kind of go into our review of this, our actual, like, how are we doing this? Is this like a Th- Siskel and Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down, one to, one to ten? Are we just doing a different review system every episode? Uh... Yeah, I I think for this one, like, for the beginning, we should probably do... We should probably do stars. 
So I feel like thumbs up or thumbs down with the very first movie if we're like, boo. Because, like, what if next week the other one is terrible? Yeah, that's fair. Because I do not know the quality of movie is this old this is this is a first for me like neither david nor i are film studies people at all we are just people who like media i think that like one of the things i was going to say about this movie that's kind of weird to me is like i kind of got into watching this movie but yes i would not recommend anyone watch this movie it is interesting but not good quality to this film yeah that's that's accurate yeah it's not even that it's like so bad that it's good it's just that it's so weird that you at least have a reason to watch it but only for the middle third yeah the pacing is really bad the pacing is extremely bad the beginning is so slow and the end i feel like a little bit it's unfair because i like was watching it on youtube and as a result could basically figure out what the plot of the end of the film was and so for like the last 15 minutes was like fucking get to it um but still i feel like even if i didn't know what the plot of the end of the movie was i would have been like fucking get to it um (laughs) because just once you go to war it's just weird it's not that it's bad it becomes too weird instead of being weird just the right amount because it's just this weird film about how we're just gonna brush over everything horrible about world war one because the real story here is two people whose love is so pure it makes them believe in god yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give it like three stars out of ten because they definitely made a movie. <laughs> okay, I feel like if 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 that if that gets us a star, I feel like we're going to have some problems because I feel like we're going to I don't know if we're going to see any films in this entire project where we will not be able to say they made a movie. Okay, but like they definitely made a movie that has if not a logical plot, a cohesive one. It's weird to me that they remade this movie with Jimmy Stewart and that didn't get nominated for an Oscar. It apparently didn't do well at all. I I mean, I feel like it must be because like then it's almost it's like a decade later they make that one. Yeah. I feel like by a decade later everyone's like the last third of this movie's morality is so twisted as to be kind of offensive. <laughs> Is the only explanation I can have. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Because there's no way that Jimmy Stewart doesn't fucking kill the part of Chico way, way, way better. better than Charles Farrell does. Way better. Uh, I will say, though, that there were there were touches of it that were, like, that were charming. Yes. That Diane is phenomenal. Yeah. With what she's given, which is not a lot. No. I mean, she milks that part for all it's worth. Yeah, I'm going to go all the way up to four stars, because, yeah, one... Janet Gaynor's killing it with very little. Two, I feel like we will watch several romantic comedies that are worse than the middle act of this movie before we're done with this project. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And three, when it's on, this movie is kind of weirdly engrossing because it's just, I don't know, I feel like there's a level of art below this that's just a slog that I really worried this whole movie was going to be for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And I feel like The thing I can say for this movie is it's weird. Its morality is totally retrograde because it was made 90 years ago. It doesn't understand World War I, which is what the movie is ostensibly about. And the gender politics is very bad. But it is at least not a movie where every five minutes through the whole thing, you're like, 
dear fucking lord. And there's so much art that is that, and I feel like we have a lot of art that is that heading our way for the next <laughs> 10 years. Oh, definitely. We have to watch Crash at some point. So we, gotta like... watch, we have to watch Crash and Gladiator. Oh, God. Um, and that's just the stuff in the last 10 years. Ugh. That's the stuff after, like, we've actually kind of made a science of this and know what we're doing. Yeah, that's that's true. A... Yeah, okay, I'll... I'll... I'll agree with you. I'll move up to four. I'll I'll give it four. Yeah. But I'm definitely eager to see what the rest of the movies nominated in this two years, because they actually did for 27 and 28. Oh, right, because this is... Because they didn't have enough movies. A little bit of four is like living in hope, but it's also deeply cynical. It's like, I hope this isn't the average quality level of Oscar-nominated films. Oh, please, no. <laughs> but also I want to hedge my bets a little bit. Uh, fun fact, apparently the end of this movie okay. inspired the dream ballet in La La Land, which I did not see, but now I want to see La La Land even less. Uh, no, I actually, um, one, that's the reason to see La La Land. Oh, okay. Um, if you, when you see La La Land for this 10 years from now, <laughs> right. um, you will spend most of La La Land, having completely forgotten this conversation, um, thinking La La Land is not a movie that deserved nearly as many accolades as it got, because the first musical number especially is such a cheesy, not particularly good Hollywood musical throwback. And then you will get to a thing in Act 3 that you think is supposed to be the, like, emotional through-line high point of the film, and go, like, this movie is just okay, and then you will go to the Dream Ballet and you will go, oh, this is one of those weird films where the entire film is worth it for the last ten minutes. And I have heard Umbrellas of Trumberg, which I don't know if got nominated for an Oscar, was the big inspiration for the Dream Ballet, but it totally makes sense that um, the Dream Ballet was inspired by this, if you go with my King Lear, the last three minutes of this movie basically aren't canon theory of the last three minutes of this film. Like, if you think that the last three minutes of this film are Diane having a complete psychological breakdown and Chico is dead, then that's the dream ballet from La La Land. I kind of like this movie better if it is Diane having a complete psychological break and is just imagining that Chico walks through the door and is blind. And it makes more sense. Yeah, let's go full podcast <laughs> crossover and go, like, how did this get made? Maybe this is all Jacob's Ladder. Like, are we sure that Diane made it out <laughs> of that sewer grate in Act 1? Because everything after that... Maybe, yeah, maybe she just got beaten Everything that. after that makes no sense whatsoever. It's weird that she has an uncanny understanding that World War One will happen. But other than that, <laughs> this being a Jacob's Ladder situation makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a good button on the episode. Fair but, enough. Uh, so, tune in next week when we will watch Wings which actually did win the Academy Award Spoilers. for Best Picture. Um, and hopefully is better than this. Yeah, I, I really hope so. And you're, and that's the one that's actually totally silent? Yeah, it's totally silent as well. But Clara Bow is in it, and I've always wanted to know what the big deal was about, so... We're about to find out in a week. All right, and that's a wrap. Why we say once a while, let's